with the procrastinator, they're freezing up. So their biological response with anxiety is making them stuck. They're frozen. Like they don't know how to move through this feeling of anxiety about this big paper. They want it to be done so well and so perfectly that their anxiety related to it is through the roof and they just can't move themselves through that feeling. Welcome to the Life Coach Baker Podcast. I'm Nicole Baker, life coach for perfectionists who want to set goals and actually follow through with them. I went to my first personal development seminar at the age of one. Yes, I was quite literally born into this industry. But by 15, I started to implement this mindset mumbo jumbo I'd heard so much about and it worked. As a recovering perfectionist myself, I've been able to set goals that are way out of my comfort zone and achieve them by doing things imperfectly, without self-judgment, and without the fear of their opinions. And now I help others to do the same. So if you are capital D done feeling like a hostage to this a-hole called perfectionism, then this show is for you. My goal is for you to leave each episode with tactical action steps that you can start to implement in your life now. I may be in my 20s. I may have the voice of a sassier Cinderella, but I've been doing this personal development-ish since I was a toddler. So let's dive in. What is up, my sweet friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Life Coach Baker podcast. I'm jazzed. (laughs) This is such a fun episode because I get to sit down with someone who has become a very fast friend of mine, um, Justine Carino. She is a therapist for teens, young adults, and families. She resides in the good old White Plains, New York, but she works with people who are struggling with anxiety, depression, family conflict, relationship issues, D, all of the above. And she and I, we sat down quite a few weeks ago and just started talking and realized rather quickly that we cover a lot of the same topics and she talks about perfectionism a lot with her clients and especially her clients who are struggling with anxiety and ADHD and all of that good stuff. So I basically immediately was like, I need you on my podcast. And I was actually really fortunate enough to be on her podcast, Thoughts from the Couch, earlier this week, which is releasing later in November. So check that out if you haven't. Also, just listen to the podcast. It's fucking phenomenal. She's really, really great. Now, spoiler alert, I've been wanting to do a podcast on anxiety for basically since this podcast was rebranded for perfectionists. I know how hand-in-hand these things can go. However, I was like, you know what? I really want to have someone on who is an expert in the field of anxiety. While I know the surface state of anxiety, how like, oh man, I'm feeling a little bit anxious today, um, that that how we can create anxiety in our mental, emotional states, there is also a huge depth level of anxiety that me as not a certified therapist didn't really feel comfortable talking about. And having Justine on and just talking to her in general was like a big like ding, 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 ding. This is the person to talk about this episode. So I'm so excited we finally get to do this topic. And I'm so excited that she is the person who gets to bring this info to you wonderful, wonderful listeners. Before we dive into the conversation and the interview, I want to do a quick, quick reminder. And that is that 
Goal Smasher is going on a flash sale. You heard this at the top of the episode, but it's going on a flash sale for Black Friday. So if you've been thinking about getting Goal Smasher, which if you haven't heard, it is my course that is a step-by-step goal setting technique for perfectionists. We talk about how to set clear goals, which, spoiler alert, that is the number one reason why we self-sabotage on our goal-setting journey. Clarity, clarity, clarity helps our brains want to take action, action, action. And it's not from a place of like pushing, burning out. It's from a place of alignment and excitement, which brings me to the second part of the goal smasher technique, setting overwhelm-free and burnout-free plans for going after your goals. Strategy is very important when it comes to goal setting, but a lot of us get so overwhelmed by what needs to happen or the things that are outside of our comfort zone or the amount of things that we either push to the point of burnout and then we wake up one day not motivated and we're like, well, fuck, I'm a failure. I might as well just quit. Or we get so overwhelmed that we procrastinate, procrastinate and say, uh, you know, I'm not really feeling it today. I'm just going to do it tomorrow. And then we beat ourselves up for the entire night. Then the third part about this course is about learning the secret behind motivation. And I'm not just talking about roller coaster motivation, like we are all surviving on at any given point of life. I'm talking about consistent motivation because it is possible. And when it comes to motivation, this is not about finishing your goal. Spoiler alert, second spoiler alert of the day. Goal Smasher is not about just accomplishing your goal. You will accomplish your goal with Goal Smasher if you follow through on the course. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. But what will happen from the third part of this course around motivation is you will start to actually enjoy the journey along the way, which is the biggest thing that people come away from this framework, my one-on-one clients and people in Goal Smasher, that is the biggest thing they take away. They're like, oh my God, I'm allowed to have fun. Oh my God, I'm allowed to enjoy this journey. I'm not supposed to beat myself up until I get to the finish line and then not celebrate because, oh, quote unquote, it was not that big of a deal. You're allowed to enjoy yourself every single step of the way through your goal. And that's what the third module is all about. So if you have been thinking about getting Goal Smasher, or if you just heard that and said, fuck, I need that for my New Year's resolutions, Now is the time. This is the most budget-friendly option you're ever going to get for Goal Smasher, but you have to be on the list in order to hear about it. So click the link in the show notes to fill out your info, or just go to lifecoachbaker.com. There's a big banner at the top of my website, and you can fill out your info there. But it is happening next week on Black Friday. Shocking. So make sure you're on that list. Okay, let's dive into this interview with the incredible, amazing Justine Carino. Welcome to the Life Coach Baker podcast, Justine Carino. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be talking with you today. I'm so excited because this is the second time I get to talk to you this week and I feel like one lucky little duckling. This is very (laughs) cool. Um, I did a little bit of an intro before we started recording, but I want people to hear from you because you're obviously the best person to tell them this. Who are you and what do you do? Sure. So I'm a licensed mental health counselor and I have a private practice in New York and I specialize in treating anxiety disorders, but I also provide treatment for depression and grief. I do both individual and family therapy by using cognitive behavioral therapy techniques and Bowenian family therapy techniques. I do like a combination of the two people listening may have no idea what that is. So, but I can quickly say, I look at the way you think about things and how that influences how you feel 
and what you do. But I also look at family dynamics and your childhood and the family that raised you and how that influences who you are today. And I also host the podcast Thoughts from the Couch. Oh, oh my God. You said, I, I have a quick question. You said cognitive behavioral therapy in the second one? What was the second Winian one? family therapy. Is that the one so, where you look at like background and family yeah. dynamics and stuff? Totally. So we look at family dynamics. We look at the family that raised you and how that impacts your relationships today mm-hmm. and how you manage emotions and regulate emotions, patterns and relationships, all of that, like fun stuff. Nobody really wants to go back in time to look at, but we really <laughs> need to look at it. Um, so I do that in the context of working one-on-one, but I also do family therapy where I've had five people in my office um, week to week trying to work on the dynamics there which is really exciting to do. I could interview you for four hours. I I won't, (laughs) but I really could. Um, How did you, Justine, get into that mental health field? Because this is a very niche, very heavy part of the field to be in. How did you gravitate towards this? Yeah. So, you know, I wish I had some awesome answer for this, but it's pretty basic. I've always loved hearing people's stories. I've always been very curious about why people do the things that they do. And I quickly learned like there's a lot behind what you see on the surface level. And there's usually some kind of story of resilience or trauma or pain or something that we wouldn't understand by looking at someone. But once we get to know them, we get curious about their life. And we start to understand them and we're like, oh, that makes so much sense mm-hmm. that they behave this way or act this way. So I took like a psych class in high school, loved it. So then I went to college pre-med thinking I'd become a psychiatrist. Um, and science uh, is not my strong suit. I cried before every single test. So I quickly changed my mind. I was like, nope, I cannot go to medical school. I absolutely hate science, but I love psychology. So then I decided to go to the route of being a licensed mental health counselor and talking to people. And I was like, okay, this is what was meant for me. Um, I work very closely with psychiatrists and respect them and love what they do, but I'm also very fortunate to do what I do. And I, I absolutely love my job. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. Did you ever deal with, and if this is a too personal of a question, we can obviously cut this out, but, um, did you ever deal with like anxiety or any kind of those disorders, whether it was from like a diagnosed level or just like from daily, um, experiences in it? I love this question. So I think I'm an anxious person. I've never been on medication. I've considered it. Um, I had high anxiety pretty recently um, when I was three months postpartum with my second child is when I really was like, oh my God, I have an anxiety situation going on here and I need to work on this. Um, But looking back, I was an anxious child and I would diagnose myself with selective mutism as a toddler up until probably five, six years old. My whole family talks about how I did not speak to anybody, um, but them. And when I went to kindergarten, the teacher would call home saying, we think there's something wrong. We know she's learning, but she's not talking. I remember being so shy, like it petrified me to speak. And then my mom put me in ballet when I was six. And I didn't talk to anybody there. And my dance teacher would call home and was like, she's great, but she doesn't speak. So knowing what I know now, I would have diagnosed myself with selective mutism. But 
ballet got me talking. I didn't have to speak. You danced. And then one day I started talking in dance class. And from then on, I like built my confidence, I think, and became so much more comfortable. And I think that's what kind of opened me up. And so I'm a trained dancer. I don't dance anymore. Unfortunately, I taught dance for a while. Um, But I think that kind of helped me manage my anxiety that I didn't even know I had as a child which is I could go into my own family dynamics. Um, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. My father's an alcoholic. Growing up, I wasn't aware of it. I discovered it. My parents are amazing people and they really kept me and my brother away from it. Um, But I didn't really realize it until I was like in college that that's something my father struggled with. So I think there was, I could even like unpack my own family and myself. Um, But to answer your question, yeah, I think I'm someone that has struggled with anxiety throughout my life at different periods of time but it's never really stuck. Um, It kind of comes and goes. I love how you're like, I don't have an interesting story and how I got into this. And then you bring up this and I'm just like, oh my God, chills, just like running up and down my body. Oh my God. That is incredible that dance brought that out from you. As a musical theater kid, I I see the creative artist in you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Oh my God. How kind of moving into the work you do, how do you think perfectionism and anxiety greatly overlap? I know we just did like a full hour and a half on this on Monday, but I'd love to hear from your perspective specifically. Why do these things go so hand in hand? Yes. So I think there's a lot of ways. So I'm going to try and focus down on like the two most important that I think people will get some takeaways from. First, I view perfectionism as a symptom of anxiety at times. And it's a way of trying to manage our anxiety. So I specialize in treating anxiety disorders. And many of my clients can relate to having perfectionistic thought patterns or behaviors that they think are helping their anxiety. They think if I'm this way, I will my anxiety will get better, but it really feeds their anxiety. Perfectionism reinforces anxiety. Um, some people might think if I do everything correctly, all of the time, I'll be able to have some kind of predictable outcome. And if you have predictable outcomes, then you don't have to tolerate the discomfort of the unknown, right? So the unknown scares people and (laughs) perfectionism, (laughs) perfectionism, perfectionism and anxiety, um, they're best friends. And so we think if I do everything perfectly, I'll guarantee this outcome, but we know nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's really in our control at the end of the day. There's so much out of it. So anxiety craves control, right? Anxiety wants control. It feels safe with control and perfectionism is a way to try and gain some type of control in our life. Does that make sense? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Times a million. I often talk about with my clients, this idea, I think we talked about this on Monday, this idea of like sinking our talents in, like we're trying to strangle a situation, trying to strangle the expectations because we want to be so in control. So in the driver's seat and often, first of all, it sucks the complete fun out of it, which especially I specialize in goal setting. You want going after goals to be fun and fulfilling and exciting. But when we try to strangle it, it just drains the joy out of it. But it makes so much sense how that boosts up the anxiety times a million. Yes. Because we fail at being perfect because we're supposed to fail at being perfect, right? It's these unrealistic expectations. So then we start to not achieve 
we don't achieve the perfectionism, then we get anxious about that. Why am I not perfect? What did I do wrong? And so then we try and work even harder towards the perfectionism by taking on too much, by doing too much, by studying all hours of the night and we're exhausted. And so then that creates anxiety in us because our brain needs sleep to manage our emotions. And when we don't have sleep, we become highly irrational. Um, It's all tied to science too, biologically. Um, So we get really scared of the unknown and we want to try our best to try and predict what can happen. And that can show up as ruminating thoughts. If we obsess and think about this problem 24 seven, maybe we'll come up with a magical solution to, to prevent it from going wrong. Um, but that worry doesn't do anything. It just makes it worse. Um, and a lot of people with anxiety can experience a lot of intrusive thoughts that they feel like they can't control. Um, and if we do something really well and we know we're really good at something, that's like our anchor, that's our safety net. Um, so I think it really, at the end of the day, perfectionism is this subconscious way to try and predict outcomes to feel safe. Um, and it does the opposite. It makes it even worse because we're trying to achieve goals that realistically we cannot achieve our perfectionism, our perfectionism is telling us we can, but we really can't. And then we have all those shoulds and the shouldn'ts. You should have done it. You should have been able to this. You should not have been able to do that. And that creates guilt and more anxiety. I want everything you just said on like a long paper to put (laughs) on my wall and to just like show clients, like read this, (laughs) like, cause uh, I, yes, to everything you just said and question, there's a lot of that, like I could have pushed harder or I should have done more, or I can work more. Like I worked 15 hours yesterday. That means I can work 15 hours a day. And that's my new standard. There's kind of this like blind, this is how life is. And this is normal. Do you see that come up with your clients pretty often? Or is that what you see? Totally. Um, You know, also I feel like if you're someone who's been through some kind of trauma, um, the anxiety is secondhand to that. But then sometimes perfectionism shows up because the trauma of what occurred was so out of your control. Like it was the first time you might've realized like, whoa, things can happen that changed my life completely. Like the loss of a parent. I do a lot of grief and bereavement work. I specialize in teens that have lost a parent. So like these young adults lost their mothers or fathers unexpectedly at a young age. So they're slapped in the face with the reality of we literally cannot control much. Um, And so then we feel anxious. Like then everything starts to be like, could I lose this? Could I lose that? What else bad can happen to me in this world? So it creates this fear. And so we overcompensate by trying to control as much as we can. And that's where we see a lot of OCD emerge. Um, These obsessive compulsive behaviors that are so subconscious. You know, if I count every step I take and it lands on an even number, nothing bad will happen to me today. And then that becomes like compulsive and needing to do that. Right. If I write this paper over a thousand times with my handwriting being extremely neat, I'll guarantee an A and I'll guarantee an outcome and I feel safe today. So it's all about 
at the end of the day, we want to feel safe. Um, and sometimes the perfectionism is developed to create some sense of safety yeah. as well. What do you say to clients who come in with this and like, what's like step number one, because obviously safety is a base human need, you know, mm-hmm. what do you say to people to step them outside of that perfectionism tendency? Yeah. So we have to play with it and experiment it a little bit, you know, like let's really unpack where this perfectionism's coming from. Where did it start? Why did it start? We do a lot of personification. Um, let's give your perfectionism a name. Let's give your mind a name. Let what is if your perfectionism was a person or a thing, what would it be? What would it look like? What would it talk like? What does it say to you? When does it show up? How old were you when it first came? What's the role of it in your life? So we really personify, we make the perfectionism a character. So then we start to learn that we can separate it from it and we can talk to it. So um, I'll have a client name it and like people have named it names of people in the past they didn't like or people that they thought were annoying or people they want to be like. Um, and then we, when the perfectionism shows up, we're, we're kind of playful and we kind of, let's say you named it Sally. You're like, Sally, I don't need you today because I'm actually safe today. I don't really need you to pop in. Right. So we get them to separate from the perfectionism. And then we kind of build these little steps to experiment with not being perfect and see how that goes. Right. Like, so if I'm working with a college student, instead of spending a hundred hours this week on your term paper, how about we spend 75 hours Mm -hmm. and see the grade you get. Right. And I would say 90% of the time, less is more. They realize they don't need the hundred hours. They could do the 75 and they're still going to get the same grade, right? So we kind of play with pulling back and getting to really understand how perfectionism is showing up in that person's life and slowly expose them. It's all exposure therapy, expose them to doing things less perfectly and learning that they will still be okay. They will still be safe. Things will still go well for them most of the time, even if they're not perfect. Um, So we really got to get to know our own perfectionism and fight through it and expose ourselves to doing things that create new beliefs around the perfectionism. Like, I guess I don't have to sacrifice my sleep every night to hit that goal. I am learning I can get good sleep and be productive and yield a goal for myself, whatever that goal, goal would be. Does that make sense? Oh my God. Yes. You are such a good articulator on this. This is so, (laughs) so good. I'm so glad you're talking about this. I love that you brought up personifying them because I was, Mm -hmm. I was in a seminar. It wasn't therapy, but I was in a seminar where they talked about like that side of you that you're trying to shed. So a lot of mine was like that perfectionism, that overworker, that overachiever, the talons sinking in person. And they're like, give it a name. And around this time, it was like right, like during the height of game of Thrones. And I, I decided, oh, me too, except for season eight. I tried tears <laughs> of sadness for that, but I named it Danny, like of Daenerys Targaryen, because yes. like, he is a workaholic, like very, like very masculine energy, like mm-hmm. always eye on the prize will not stop until she gets what she wants. And like, well, I think there's some elements of that that I'm like, I will never let that go of my personality. Does it need to be the 24-7 default? Absolutely not. So I would like stand like Danny, Danny, Danny. I would stand <laughs> like Danny and 
just see what it felt like in my body and then stand like someone completely different and who I wanted to be. And I was just like, Oh my God. So my fiance now sometimes is like, Danny, can you calm down? Like, can you not I be love here right that. now? And I'm like, thank you. I needed that reminder. Yes. Cause Danny shows up, right? We yeah. all have our own versions of Danny that shows up to keep us safe, to protect us, to try and give us some kind of form of control, but it's not really what works. Exactly. Oh my God. I, I want to ask, cause as we talked about on Monday, there's the two like major sides of perfectionism when it comes to drive that like overachiever, I will work a hundred hours on my paper, but then there's also the person who sees that hundred hours or sees that paper. And it's like, it needs to be perfect. Oh my God. That's so overwhelming. You know what? I'm just going to go lay in bed and watch Netflix. I'll do it later when I'm feeling more motivated for those type. I, I call them procrastinators and people on the show know that that's not a diss. It's just part of a human behavior, but like mm-hmm. what for anxiety, how does that show up in them? And is there a different outcome or a different way of getting to the non-perfectionist anxiety outcome? Yeah. So I view the procrastinator as getting stuck in the freeze of the fight, flight or freeze response. So, and I know you talk a lot about cave people with your audience too. And I do as well to explain anxiety, right? So we were all cave people trying to survive and we needed anxiety to survive as a species. We needed to feel fear to learn from it. We needed to learn that if we went to go fish for our dinner at the same time a mother bear was, we'd probably get eaten and die. So we need to be afraid of that mama bear and not go fishing when she's there and find other ways to feed ourselves that day. Otherwise we're kaput. So we, anxiety gives us a warning. It helps us make decisions. It can be extremely valuable. We need this emotion. Um, So our bodies develop the fight, flight, or freeze response. And we can either fight the bear, we can run away, or we could freeze and play dead. For those listening, with a bear, you freeze and play dead. (laughs) Don't try and fight it. Who needs Cub Scouts? We got Justine. (laughs) Exactly. But so with the procrastinator they're freezing up. So their biological response with anxiety is making them stuck. They're frozen. Like they don't know how to move through this feeling of anxiety about this big paper. They want it to be done so well and so perfectly that their anxiety related to it is through the roof and they just can't move themselves through that feeling. Um, So there are a lot of people that can relate to that stuck feeling. Um, especially when it comes to trying to hit goals. So you want to set teeny, teeny, weeny, tiny goals every day. So you're not as overwhelmed, right? So if you have the 20 page paper due in two weeks, break it down and do some division. How many pages should I be working on a day? If I can start my intro today, that's an accomplishment. Check it off the list. And then you think about the next task the next day. So really small broken down goals is going to help the procrastinator that's feeling that anxiety. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. And we talk a lot about like chunking down on this podcast. Now you Mm -hmm. have it from another source, friends. See it's work. It works. It works. Totally. Um, Go for it. I have a second way that anxiety shows up. Should I go into it? Yes, absolutely. Please. Uh, Okay. And I'm going to relate to our family of origin. So perfectionism can relate to our family of origin and how we kind of emerged with subconscious roles 
to survive in our family system. So just like we tried to survive as cave people, we try to survive in our family to keep the peace. So perfectionism is a way to manage our relationships while growing up at times, which is a way to also avoid the anxiety or any other negative emotion. So, and I'll explain this family is our templates to emotion regulation. So they kind of teach us like how we deal with our feelings. Right. And they're the templates for our social and emotional development as well. So for some people, being perfect was a survival skill in their family. They needed to please everybody to keep like this homeostasis, this balance going um, to keep that status quo. So perfectionists can often identify as the overachiever of their family, the good girl, the quiet one, the golden child. This role emerged on purpose. So you needed to be perfect subconsciously to distract everyone from some kind of unhealthy pattern or level of dysfunction that might've been going on. Um, So I can give you an example. Maybe someone had a parent with a mental illness or drug or alcohol problem, or maybe they're extremely strict and use a lot of corporal punishment. You know, whatever was going on made you very uncomfortable and very anxious. And maybe everyone else felt that too, but you took on this role because you felt less anxiety, less discomfort when you're, when you saw that parent happy or parents happy, their marriage happy. So you realize, okay, they're happy when I overachieve. So I'm going to follow all the rules. I'm going to do exactly what I'm told. I'm going to get everyone to look at me achieving things instead of looking at each other, because when they look at each other, it's bad news. When they look at each other, mom and dad's relationships falling apart. When they look at each other or brother, brother's on his way to rehab. So let's distract them from whatever dysfunction's going on because I see joy. I see happiness. I see pride, what I'm doing well. So there lies this initial anxiety management, perfectionism, relational way of being concept. Does that make sense? Oh my God. Yes. I, I don't even know how to ask a question based off that. Cause I just have so many, um, <laughs> When it does come to family dynamics, obviously we can't as adults go in and be like, mom and dad, you fucked me up. Fuck Mm -hmm. you. Like we can't really, well, maybe we can, but um, maybe it won't be the healthiest option. We'll say that. Um, How do we, how do people begin to tackle that bear? Cause that feels like a very, like in the center of your brain programming type of base human instinct. How, how do you address that with people? Or is it like a total conglomeration depending on personality? And yeah. It's a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Go to therapy friends. It's good. <laughs> a lot of therapy, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of insight, but so what usually happens, someone doesn't wake up one day and is like, Hey, I realized how fucked up my family was. And that's why I'm a perfectionist. It shows up elsewhere, right? So maybe they realize they keep dating the wrong person. Their friends suck. They keep overworking for a terrible boss. Like they start to recognize some pattern. They're like, why? Like, why is this the pattern? And then they go to therapy and a therapist will point out like, when did this pattern first start? And we kind of rewind the tape and then we can start to unpack family dynamics from there. And then we put it into practice, right? Right. Because what's dysfunctional is still comfortable. 
we will repeat what is comfortable, even if it's bad for us, right? So sometimes we accept relationships in our life that we know are bad or unhealthy or toxic, but we know how to deal with it because we grew up with it. We are ready to get in there. Sometimes the peace and calm is uncomfortable and boring. We want that chaos because we grew up with the chaos, right? So we start to um, challenge the pattern and we're like, let's try something different this time. Like, let's try dating someone opposite of who you've been dating and let's see how that turns out. So we do these these experiments to untangle these patterns to develop new core beliefs and new behaviors. So that's like in the person's personal life. And then when it comes to the family, because we can't change them, it's setting up a whole new set of boundaries, right? Being able to show up imperfectly, being able to make mistakes and not over apologize about it, being able to say no, being able to own certain things with a mom or dad or sibling. So trying to really reset the boundaries with the family group you grew up with, that's healthier for you instead of keep continuing to play out that role that maybe you had as a child. Are you a perfectionist who has a goal or goals that you're wanting to achieve, but you feel like you have no idea how to get consistently motivated and you keep on saying, eh, I'll do it tomorrow. Or you feel like you're just flailing about trying to do everything and it feels like nothing's working and you're not making progress? Or even do you just feel so overwhelmed on where to start and that's resulted in you feeling stuck and disappointed in yourself for not moving forward? You are not alone. That is why I've created Goal Smasher, my step-by-step goal-setting technique to help you set clear goals, create an overwhelm-free plan on how to get there, plus learning the secret sauce that will take you from totally shitting on yourself to saying, wow, I'm a badass. By the way, this technique is completely free from burnout. The best part is that this is something you can learn in less than a day and put to use immediately, plus, this is my favorite, you will get lifetime access to use this course over and over and over again with each new goal you have. Goal Smasher is going live super soon and to be the first to know about when it's available, plus getting exclusive bonuses that no one else will receive, visit lifecoachbaker.com or click the link in the description. Now, back to the episode. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> this is just so good. Oh my gosh. I, I want to take a moment to address the fact of like, we see this a lot of times in perfectionism with health. Like if I'm going to do health, I have to do it absolutely perfectly. And if I fuck up, I suck and I'm just going to go totally in the opposite direction. But I've also started seeing it in the mental health field where it's like, people will sometimes come to me saying like, I have the goal of drinking more water. I want to run a half marathon. I want to get up at five 30. I want to, um, eat really healthy. I want to do, 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 do like all these like crazy big life changing habits and lifestyles. And they're like, and I want to do it all right now. And I'm like, okay, tell me a little bit about how you're currently living. And it's like the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. And it's this very, like, I either do it all or I don't do anything, but doing it all super overwhelms me. So I'm just stuck in this plateau but I see it a lot in mental health too. And I'm wondering if you see that too. Yes. So it's funny because I was actually just talking about this with a client this week, who's really frustrated with her lack of progress Mm -hmm. and really comparing herself to peers 
that are like, well, she's been in therapy for this similar trauma for like six months. And how come she's better? Like, and why am I not better yet? But we like kind of broke it down. I'm like, dude, you're an overachiever. You're trying to overachieve at therapy. Like you're so used to like setting a goal and knowing a distinct plan and getting an outcome where we can't really measure our mental health the same way because progress with mental health is not linear, right? It's not like we just keep going up the ladder. We go up and then we go backwards and then we go up a little bit more and then we go backwards again. So it's an up and down uh, ride that we're on to improve our mental health because it takes a lot of time and effort and energy. It's like learning a new language sometimes to be able to really change, rewire our brain and make these changes because it's all cognitive and it's all behavioral. Um, also, I, I think this is part of it and I'm, I'm not sure. I also have been talking about this a lot. People are expecting happiness as something that's happening all the time. Um, and I had to actually, I had a client this week. I love her. Shout out to her. We're like, what do you expect out of therapy? And she's like, to be happy. I'm like, nope, that's the wrong expectation. Like I've already failed you. Try again. (laughs) I've already failed you. So happiness, people don't understand this. It's a temporary state of being. So to think that we are going to walk around happy 24 seven is completely unrealistic. And I'm sorry if this is a wake up call for people. Eh is normal. Content is normal. Okay. Is normal. Sad, frustrated, angry. So just like we feel sad temporarily, unless we have clinical depression, we could talk about that later, but we feel sad temporarily, nervous, temporarily frustrated, temporarily mad. All emotions are temporary. They come and they go. So does happiness. So Unfortunately, I think we're all in this state of believing we're supposed to and can be happy all of the time. So when someone's working on their mental health day in, day out, and they're not feeling happy 24-7, they think they've failed. And it's like, that is the completely wrong expectation. I think that's where we need to change a lot of the expectations around it. I'm over here just like, once more for the people in the back, like, <laughs> yes, because, oh my God, I yes, 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 yes. And just like, I, I, I obviously grew up in a personal development family, so it was very conditioned. Like if you're not happy, change it. If you're not succeeding, change it. And that was not my parents like conscious doing by any means. It was just the stuff I paid attention to when I was a little kid. And we like, I now see that so often where I'm like in a bad mood or something and I'll be talking to my fiance and I'm like, oh gosh, you know, like, I just, I, I need to be happier. I need to be happier. And he's like, whoa, stop. This is where you can tell he's done a lot more therapy than I have. He's like, whoa, stop. Let's try that again. Like, no, no. And it's it, it, like, it's so true. And I wonder, and I, again, I keep saying this, but you and I probably, we talked about this on Monday, but like, I wonder if social media has a big impact on that mm-hmm. because we are scrolling through people after people after people being happy and happy and happy, living their dream life or posting their best of yep. the moments or whatever. And we think that's the standard. Do you think mm-hmm. that's the reason or one of the reasons? A hundred percent. Like social media has really hurt us in so many ways. 
um, it has set up so many false expectations about what we're supposed to, our lives are supposed to look like and feel like. Um, and we really have to learn to detach from what we see on social media. I mean, that is one of my first steps with someone that's feeling a lot of anxiety is let's talk about your social media use, how much you're using it yeah. and how are you feeling after using it? Can we set limits with it? I've had people full on delete it. And we're like, that was probably one of the best things I've done for my anxiety. Um, so it's also, I love this movement. There's so many coaches and therapists on social media and it's like, oh, this is so fun. Like that didn't exist before. And now it does. But one person, and you mentioned this on Monday could be consuming like diff 20 different coaches. Like I would never tell a client to go to 20 different therapists at the same time. That's an overload, right? Oh, so then we're getting all these tools that we were like, okay, let me practice this because that therapist said that. And let me do that because that therapist said that. I also get people coming like, I have this disorder because that, this woman on TikTok said this is the criteria. I'm like, no, you don't have this disorder. You are just anxious this week for a good reason. You don't have blah, 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 right? So we're, it's just so unrealistic and overwhelming to try and maintain a state of being of happiness and think that's what mental health is. It's unfortunately all fed from social media. I think the moral of the story, either set hard and fast time limits or mm -hmm. delete the mother effing app. <laughs> like, <laughs> delete, I, delete, delete. Like most of my clients and I work on some element of this cause it's very universal, but like setting that time limit, there's a time limit option for social media on your phone. And I think I have mine set for like 30 minutes a day. And it's shocking how fast you hit that. It's stupidly shocking how fast you hit mm -hmm. it, but you have to have the, the, the cognitive decision-making control control. Maybe it's not the right word, but like discipline, I guess discipline's a better word to say, okay, I'm done. Cause the thing that they get you with is that there's a 15 minutes more button or ignore limit today button. And it's just like, Oh God, we could probably do an entire episode devoted. To totally, limits are huge, or or delete limit yeah. or delete. That's the first step for a lot of people. Yes. Oof. Um, you have a course coming out. I do. And I want to hear all about it because I'm also hearing mostly about it for the first time. But I want listeners, especially, to hear about this because this is huge. Yeah, I I'm ex I'm really excited about it. Um. If I could only get it done already, I probably should be looking to you for goal setting. <laughs> this is You're where my procrastinator, Justine, hello. I am, guys, I am all I need to do. Like, I have the outline, I have like all this ready to roll. I just got to record this thing and I can't sit down in, in front of the camera and do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because I want it out there. Um, so you got this. Set a deadline. You can do this. <laughs> You're so right. Um, so my course is called the path to peace and it's a step-by-step -step online program program proven to help this overachieving people, pleasing perfectionist gain a little bit of control, right? We don't have control of everything, a little bit of control over racing thoughts, managing overwhelming feelings of anxiety, and really craft a self-care practice to optimize their mental health through evidence-based treatment methods that I use with my clients. Um, so it's the first time ever I'm sharing the exact process I do with one-to-one -one therapy clients in my private practice that's resulted in them telling me that they feel like 
they're a new person, right? Like they feel so different. Like I've had clients say like, I'm such a different person than I was a year ago. I never thought I could feel this way. And I got inspired because like I've, I've been busy, right? But then the pandemic hit and I was really busy and I cannot take on the level of calls and emails that I'm getting from people that want the support with their anxiety and depression. And I think a lot of it goes hands in hand, hand in hand with this universal trauma we've all been through related to the pandemic that a lot of us are either ignoring or not realizing how it connects to how we're feeling. Um, so I'm like, I wish I could help more people. Oh, let me do something where people can download in their own home. It's not therapy. It's not virtual therapy. It's just a tool that gives you some coping mechanisms for managing your anxiety. So I'm really excited about it. And when does it launch? Do you have a date for it yet? I'm saying January 2022. I'm giving myself some point in that month, it will go live. And I want you all to be aware of it when it, when it happens. Beautiful. So if anyone's interested in wanting to know when this comes out, everything can be found on my website, which is carinocounseling.com. There I have two um, freebies people can sign up for. They're fun. One is six ways your perfectionism is getting in the way of your happiness. I know some people um, who need that. There you to go. Podcast. <laughs> and the other is like how to create a wellness, personal wellness routine for yourself. So by downloading either of those, you'll be added to my email list and you will be one of the first to know when this program launches. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited because I hear, you know, there's a lot of courses, there's a lot of stuff out there, but there's so few that focus on this topic because it's so internal and to be able to have that at your fingertips and and out of curiosity, do they have like lifetime access to it or is that sweet? That's important. (laughs) Like that would be so helpful. So I highly recommend everyone who has listened to this episode and says, oh shit, that's me. Go go get on her email list to at least be the first to know about this course. Cause I think that's just so important. I appreciate oh that. You're so welcome. I mean it. Um, I have one last question for you before we get into segments. And that is yeah. for anyone who is listening, other than obviously going to get on your email list for your course, what is one thing that they can do to start managing anxiety in a way that is really growth oriented, moving them forward, obviously not slamming their foot on the gas, but how can basically, how can someone feel like, okay, I'm tackling my anxiety. What would you say is like, what's one thing they can do? Yes. And I want to give you a thousand things. I'm like, which is the priority? <laughs> I really threw a hard, a hard question at you. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you That's two fine. ways. One is take a good look at the way you think. The way you are thinking about things is influencing your anxiety, right? So we have the what ifs, the shoulds, the shouldn'ts, how we think about everything. All our automatic thoughts are related to these core beliefs that we've developed over time that need to be challenged and rewired. So start paying attention to the way you're thinking and see if that is making you feel worse. And one trick I tell all my clients is to ask themselves, is this thought helpful and or true? Most of the time it's not helpful. So say goodbye to it if it's not helping you. And most of the time it's not true. It's just an assumption or we're jumping to some kind of conclusion because our anxiety is telling us to. Mm-hmm. So constantly is ask yourself, is this thought helpful and or true? The tricky part is your brain 
knows to reinforce, yes, it is helpful. Yes, it is true. So you kind of need someone in the room, you know, fighting with you over that, <laughs> that but start, you will get better at being like, nope, un- untrue and unhelpful. So goodbye to the thought. Let me think of a new thought. Um, and second, you have to create a mental health routine that is going to be your foundation of coping. Um, and I go into that into the course as well. So your coping skills for your mental health are like the foundation of a house. You need it to be strong and sturdy because if it's not one little stressor will make you crumble. Um, so we need to practice everyday things that are unique to you and nobody else that is a real version of self-care, not a fake version of self-care as we talked about another time, um, that helps you feel good and aligns you with the end goal of what are, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So really get a personalized routine and start slow with it. And that could look so different for a million different people. And you have that, the freebie on your website, the wellness routine. Yeah. There's some suggestions that I have in there where it has someone break down, like, what do you need to do daily, weekly, and monthly to keep your anxiety at bay? So it kind of organizes it and has some suggestions, but people could put in, they need to do a handstand for 10 minutes a day to get the blood flowing. I don't care what it is. If it works for you, do that once a day, right? There's no rules. So yes, that's on my website. Oh, Oh, I love it. Oh my goodness. Oh, Justine, again, I could talk to you for 15 hours and not run out of things to say, Um, (laughs) but I want to do our few quick segments with you. And that is first and foremost, what is one small step you made toward achieving your goals this week? It could be super big, super small, teeny tiny, whatever. Awesome. So I've had a goal for a long time that I'm finally in routine with, and it's waking up before my kids to practice my morning routine. Um, and that I'm finally doing, I'm on week two of get, I get up two hours before they wake up. It's really early. It's like five 20 in the morning. Um, but I get my workout in, I get my shower, I get my coffee. I am in such an awesome mood by the time I see them. I'm no longer screaming like a maniac, like get in the car, get out the door, like put on your shoes. Like, I'm like, good morning. Like I just (laughs) feel so much better about myself so I can show up so much better for them. So I'm really proud of that this week. Oh, I love that. And if you guys, we talked about this on your, on your podcast, the difference between like self-care and like self-preservation And I remember you brought that up. And so if you guys are curious, go listen to that episode and also just go listen to thoughts from the couch because it's really good. Anyway, uh, Justine, how did you get in your own way this week? Again, this can be really big or really small, but what's Mm. one way you were not perfect this week? (laughs) Oh gosh. I was too, I was too mean to my husband this week. Like I was so upset about something. And I kind of like took it all out on him. Like I was so triggered. Um, and sometimes when I'm triggered and emotional, I go on and on and on and on. Like, I don't know when to quit. So I think I went on way too long and I was really disappointed with my, myself for not really being able to regulate and like calm myself before I spilled it all out onto my husband. So I definitely got my way with that this week. Oh, thank you for being so vulnerable and so human because I know so many people who have done that this week as well. (laughs) Um, And last but not least, of course, I know we kind of teased this a little bit earlier, but where can people find you? Where are you online? How can people get in the Carino 
space world. Yeah. <laughs> so everything can be found on my website, carinocounseling.com. Um, I also have a podcast you can subscribe to thoughts from the couch and I am on Instagram um, as at thoughts from the couch. So that's where I'll be. And I'll link everything in the show notes for you guys to just go click nice and easily. Thank you. Of course. Oh my goodness. Justine, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here again. This episode has been such a long time coming and you I could not have asked for a better guest. Thank you so, so, so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. I mean, I just could talk to her for hours. I don't know how else to describe it. If you guys loved this interview, I strongly urge you to go check out Justine. All of her info is in the show notes, including her new course coming out all on anxiety, which perfectionists, I know some people who deal with that. And yes, it is possible to overcome it. And she is a really, really, really good resource to have for that. Thank you so much, Justine, again, for being on the show. I'm just unbelievably grateful for your friendship. And you guys, I love you all. If you have not, don't forget to go write a rating and review for the podcast. It helps so much with getting the word out there and getting other people to find the show, which I don't know about you. I want other people to hear interviews like this because it is so important, especially since so many of us deal with perfectionism nowadays. It is part of my mission, but I do need some assistance from you all beautiful people. So go ahead and smash that five-star button if you think it is worth five stars. I hope you do, but I want you to be honest. Be authentic to you, boo. And write a little love note in the review section. It is so helpful. It can be three words. It can be 10 words. It can be 11,000 words. I don't care. But I, it really does help. And plus, I love reading those. It brings just chills and tears to my eyes. I just, I love you guys so much. Everyone who's written a review so far, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You give me hugs every day virtually, which is very kind. You guys, I love you so much. I will talk to you all very, very soon and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Life Coach Baker podcast. Don't forget to check out Goal Smasher, my step-by-step technique to help you set clear goals, create an overwhelm-free plan, and learn the secret for keeping your motivation consistent and high. Check it out by going to the link in the show notes or by searching lifecoachbaker.com forward slash goal smasher. Also take a moment to rate the podcast and write a review. It is the best way to get the word out there. Plus you'll get the chance of having your review read on the show. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.